This is No BS, a series of authentic conversations about the world of work. My name is Dr. Carlin Borosenko. I'm an organizational psychologist, and I work with individuals and organizations all over the world to help them create amazing work experiences. And I'll be honest, in the work I do, I run across my fair share of nonsense. In this series, we are going to call BS on the things that are just completely unnecessary in the workplace and explore how we can do them better. Ready to go? Let's get started. In part two of this series about the dark side of the Me Too movement, I had a chance to speak to Mike Tunison, who recently shared his story on Medium and then later in the New York Post about what it was like when he was included on the shitty media men list. Now, just like in part one, I am not making any assumptions about the guilt or innocence of Mike in this situation. I simply want to provide a forum for him to share his side of the story, to tell his version of it. What was it like to experience this? How did it impact his relationships? And how did it impact his career? Mike, I want to start this off just by reading the first paragraph of your Medium post and as a way to introduce the topic. Last spring, during my first week on the janitorial staff at a Dave & Buster's, I struck up a conversation with a coworker who had served 17 years in prison, swapping life stories I sheepishly, sheepishly divulged that I used to work for the Washington Post, that I had a book published by HarperCollins, and that I spent years as a top editor of a popular website. He fixed a look on me. So what are you doing here, he asked. And for the life of me, I couldn't begin to explain. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about why we're talking here today. How are you in the position you're in? Uh, well, all of this uh, came about because I was uh, one of 70 plus men uh, uh, identified as on the shitty media men list, which was a, uh, a crowdsourced, um, anonymously submitted uh, an unvetted collection of allegations of, uh, you know, sexual misconduct ranging from like rape to like awkward DMS and dates. Uh, that, yeah, it was, uh, it was compiled, uh, immediately following, uh, the fallout of like the Harvey Weinstein, um, revelations in like October, 2017. Um, and it was put together. Uh, I mean, the woman who initiated it is, uh, Moira Donegan. Um, but you know, it's, it's unclear exactly how many people contributed to it because, um, so Moira's being sued by a, a guy on another guy on the list named uh, Stephen Elliott, um, and one of you know in the process of discovery, he's tried to figure out who exactly uh, you know contributed to the list, you know presumably to find out because he claims that his because he's he's accused of rape on the list, and he he you know he's claiming that's false, and he wants to find out you know understandably that you know who uh, who accused him, but <clears throat> Google is uh, refusing to turn over. Um, any of that information, which to some degree, I understand, like you want to protect women who have, uh, you know, identified their rapists, but then you run into situations like mine, where the allegations are wildly, wildly uh, different from anything that happened. And I've, I, you know, I, I talked to a coworker who like, I had like somewhat of of falling out with, like we had, you know, like, it was like, initially friendly and then by the end we weren't getting along but like I nothing of the sort happened like that happened and she says she didn't do it she doesn't know who did so I literally do not know who has accused me of stalking 
physical intimidation, which is an, an incredibly vague allegation. Like, what, what does physical intimidation mean? That could be a huge, huge assortment of behaviors and uh, harassment. Um, and, I, and I might never know who made this. I mean, it's a good chance that I won't unless they, like, come forward. I can't imagine, like, you know, who's going to fight Google? They're, you know, arguably the most powerful company in the world. Um, so like I, I, and, and, and that's, uh, you know, one of the, I, when I try to pitch this, um, piece to like a major, uh, a major outlet, one of the things they told me is that because we don't know who your accuser is, there's a danger that someone else could come forward and accuse you. And I'm like, I'm telling you, there's no evidence of like, of me doing this to anyone. But like, that's, I mean, that's how much a lot of these publications are invested in the narrative of me too. Uh, that like I there's an impossible burden of proof on me like right. how am I supposed to prove like acts that I didn't do from a person that I can't identify that it's impo it's literally impossible right and you you noted in your piece as well that uh, the the list mentions that there was a complaint filed with HR but you contacted the HR department at the Washington Post and no such complaint exists right which I mean, even it, it, it did take me a while to, uh, you know, a few months to do that because I was just like so blindsided by this. And like, you know, you even look at when I, I worked at the Post from 2005 to 2008 and the list came out in 2017. You know, I had to do a lot of like mental backtracking. I'm like, wait, what? Like, I know I didn't get along with this person, but like, is it possible I did any? Like, what? like I had no idea what to think. But like, yeah, eventually I was like, OK, I have to get in touch with them. Uh, I mean, initially I wanted to just like write an essay being like, look, I didn't do this, but you know, I was warned against it by friends. They're like, look, you're just going to get like piled on. The Twitter mob is just going to like have your way with you. And they're probably right. Like, it's a good thing I didn't do that. Um, but yeah, so I ended up checking with HR and they're like, we have nothing on file. Like the only thing in my H in my HR file that they mentioned, which is something that the public already knows is that I was I ended up getting like forced to resign from the post because I was writing for like this sort of, you know, crass sports blog that I was doing, you know, kissing Susie Colbert, uh, which is probably what most people know me from. Um, but yeah, that was the only thing that was in my HR file. They're like, Oh, that, you know, we ended up having to like force you to resign because of this like naughty sports blog that you wrote for. <laughs> well, like, I want to just go back to when you discovered you were on the list. Can you tell me how, how you discovered you were on this list and what that experience was like? So my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, you know, she works in media uh, and you know, she lives in Brooklyn. So she's sort of connected with, um, a, you know, that's that's one of the criticisms of the shitty media men list is who was able to like uh, make accusations and who was able to edit it. it. It was largely this like New York media base, and because of industry consolidation, like you know the sort of the two poles of media, New York and LA, have gained even more power. Like you know, at the outset of like internet media, there was the promise like, oh, this is really going to democratize media. It's going to open it up to all sorts of different people and different places. But, you know, with capital's influence, that's been the opposite effect. It's really only like more reinforced the traditional capitals of power in media. So like, like the people who had access to that within like New York media, like they were the ones that that's why people are like, oh, this, uh, you know, the shitty media men list didn't touch on a lot of like abusers that it could have because it didn't focus on like the industry as a whole. It focused on this like very privileged, like niche part of the industry. 
Um, and that isn't to say that there aren't legitimate abusers within those circles, but it's not a comprehensive look at it. And I'm sorry, I'm getting away from the point a little bit. But uh, so my, my girlfriend at the time, you know, she's a, a, like, a, she lived in Brooklyn. She's a writer. Um, so she had access to the list. Uh, so she was like paying attention while it was being edited. And so she DM me, she's like, we need to talk. And I'm like, oh, oh God. I mean, understandably from her end, you know, you know like you're dating someone and they're being accused of like stalking, you know, uh, physical intimidation, et cetera. Um, and to, you know, to her credit, she didn't like immediately brush me off. She heard me out. Um, and, you know, we continued like to have a relationship from there. I mean, that's certainly more like uh, of a fair, uh, you know, shake than a lot of people do. Like I told, like I mentioned in the piece, I had a friend who completely cut me off and still has not spoken to me to this day. Um, you know, I'm sure, and I'm sure there are tons of other people who have like judged me and not like reconsidered even after I've written this piece. Right. Um, yeah, so so that's, that's how I found out. <laughs> what, so, so when your girlfriend kind of told you what was going on, what was your first reaction to that? Um, well, she, uh, she didn't list out the, she just mentioned that I'm on the list. So I like, I, I, which was obviously troubling and I'm like, Oh, like, Oh God, like why? Who's like, what did I do? I can't, I was just like dumbstruck. Um, so I was, yeah, it was, it was a complete shock. Uh, you know, I had to like cycle through and again, I knew I had like, there was a coworker in the post that I didn't get along with, but again, I didn't, nothing I did there rose to the, like the level of predatory behavior. So I wouldn't like, but that was the only person I was like, okay, I didn't get along with you. That's the, but the only thing. But it was only until once the, the list leaked in full, I saw what the charges were. And I was I, like, it was, an, it was like, it, it was even more traumatic at that point. Cause I'm like, what is the stalking or anything? Like I didn't, I've never stalked anyone. I don't understand this. Mm-hmm. As the list kind of started to make the rounds and, and more people saw it, did you, I guess I, well, I'm going to rephrase my question. Did, what did you expect the impact of the list to be when you first found out about it? And, and how did that turn out? You mean, you mean the list itself or my, my, the piece that I published? Uh, the, the list itself. Oh, um, I mean, we'll it was that one soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's hard to say because like, it's something that came, it was kind of a spur of the moment thing. And obviously I, like I had no involvement in, you know, uh, compiling it or disseminating it. Um, you know, like it was, it was such a shock to my system, uh, that like, I mean, I, like on some level I knew that there was some good involved because like, yeah, like a lot of women's very serious, uh, you know, uh, like allegations or, you know, trying to redress like abuse or misconduct was often falling on debt on like deaf ears. Uh, so like if like, but I'm like, I, I don't know, I can't, I can't like, I'm not going to try to speculate on anything else unless I don't know the circumstances of any of these. So I don't know, like, if there, I, I mean, I've talked to a few other men on the list, one, one of whom who was cleared by his employer, but, you know, he still talks about how, like, traumatic it was for him for, like, at least a year. He says it, like, you know, like, broke his brain, essentially. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I, I've said in, the, in, in my piece that I, I consider it, like, a net positive, which has been, you know, some people have, you know, have, taken, have taken issue with that. Um, those are more like, you know, me too critics or critics of the list. And I, and I can see some of their perspective, but, and, you know, without going into detail, cause uh, you know, there hasn't been a full investigation, so I don't want to like, you know, say things that could be potentially wrong, but I've heard from a number, number of people about some guys on the list that are like, you know, that have said to be guilty about very serious things. And, you know, there's, there's some criticism from, you know, people who don't like the list that are like, well, couldn't you have just gone uh, you know, through like the traditional avenues uh, to redress this. And I'm like, well, how do you know that 
that didn't happen. Uh, I mean, like, obviously there are these, these, you know, mechanisms have failed time and again, which isn't to say like, no, I don't think like an anonymously sourced unvetted list is a good standard, you know, but I can see how people would be driven to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that was kind of the things that I found really interesting about your piece, and and I don't know that I'm I'm judging it either way, but you were pretty different deferential to the Me Too movement, really saying you know this is a net positive, that this is a good thing, it unearthed things that really we should have been talking about before, and you know bad people that did bad things were identified. Just the assumption that every single person on the list was was automatically guilty without any sort of investigation that's that's where we start to get into an area that you know might be more problematic right and you know and my my like writing background informs that to some degree you know i've written about the nfl where you know you know play players uh for a long time just getting away with whatever was the norm uh so like in the like you you can say that like obviously that still exists to some degree um, but the Leo you know, the league had its own sort of reckoning with the Ray Rice thing, uh, the early part of the 2010s. Um, so like there was, and that was only maybe a few years before the list. So like there had been like some level of cultural reckoning and like in certain like spheres of culture before, uh, you know, me too sort of brought it to ver- like various others. So like I had seen like the effects of like, uh, you know, women's claims being disregarded in, things that I focused on. So I, I understood, you know, even though like I had not been directly involved in any cases, like how, how that functions essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was the impact of the list on your career after it came out? Well, I, I had been freelancing for a couple of years. So I, I, I had been working full time as the, um, the, uh, the editor in chief of the, the website I ran KSK until like mid midish 2015 um and then i'd been full uh, i'd been freelancing like exclusively for a couple years uh after that and there was like like i again i make it clear that i don't think the like the list like single-handedly destroyed my career but it very obviously had a harmful effect i I think i don't don't know how you could argue that you know it didn't there weren't opportunities that maybe i could have gotten that people like didn't want to work with me i mean i've lost I lost contact with people who could have helped my career. But yeah, like within that time, there were some freelance, like some I was like permalancing for that shut down. I was a, like a permanent freelancer for a site called like Sports on Earth that like, that shut down. I was, you know, writing a weekly column for Vice Sports and that like essentially gutted at staff. So there are like, there are other factors that work here, but like, I, I don't understand with how politicized, like how, how, how weaponized the list was by people who are full-time journalists. Like I, I, and I included this on a Twitter thread when I first posted this, that there are people who are like blue check full-time reporters who are like, do not associate with anyone on the shitty media men list. We see you doing this. And it's like, you don't know, you don't know any of these claims. You didn't investigate any of this. How can you just like socially ostracize people like this? So you know, I, I think it would be in the interest of a lot of people who maybe don't want to investigate, you know, the ills of this to claim like, oh, it didn't really hurt anyone. And you see that like in the discussion of cancel culture at large, a lot of people who are like corporate journalists who maybe had that like the path cleared for them to some degree because like, you know, competition was pushed out of the way to be like, oh, no, 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 nobody really was hurt by this. I, I think they have a vested interest to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it would be very difficult to claim that this has not had 
like some very noticeable effect on my career. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, so, so you wrote this blog post. I found out about your story when Tim Poole talked about your, your, your medium post. The New York Post has covered your story as well. What has been the response since you put your story out there? So I like when, you know, I've been thinking about publishing it for, you know, not long after the list materialized. And I had to wait for, you know, a variety of reasons. Um, and partially is that I just didn't see the culture like being receptive to it to any degree. And even up to the point where, you know, I published it, it wasn't like incredibly clear that that was going to happen. There were some signs that things had been loosening a little bit. But I thought like, I'm like, okay. And in fact, I, there's this sort of somewhat notable tweet where it's like, you don't want to be, the, the goal of Twitter is not to be, of any given day is not to be the main character. <laughs> and that's essentially <laughs> what I was doing. It's like, well, I guess I'm about to be the main character of Twitter, which would have meant being like assailed on all sides, probably dunked on, having any bad thing I've ever done in my life brought up, being like, this guy's trash, he's irredeemable. And largely actually that didn't happen. Um, and, I'll, and I'll explain sort of why. And uh, like, so, like, I don't think there's anything con inherently conservative about what I wrote in my piece. But a lot of conservatives and a lot of Me Too critics were very, very like eager to push this because obviously it shows like a way, like a way that Me Too has gone too far or has like not been as rigorous as it should have been. Um, and but though a lot of those also like a lot of them also had criticism of me like oh you why why don't you want to sue Moira Donegan then or like why don't you like have more mean things to say about her. And, I, and like, you know, I've, I think I've articulated by now, like, why I don't think it's worthwhile to, like, join the lawsuit against her. So the way, and the way I think I miscalculated is that, like, the, the sort of liberal side uh, of, of this equation completely ignored my piece. Like, by and large, they did not reckon with it at all. They didn't acknowledge it. Like, and these are including people I'm, I'm mutuals with on Twitter uh, who, know, who know me very well, you know, people I've worked with like have just just completely disregarded this. Uh, and like, and I think you go further left on this. There were some like left journalists because like, I think this, you know, the, the list very much is tied up with this, you know, the vampire's castle, the <laughs> very, you know, the very like woke, uh, like left center ideology of like, you know, canceling people. But like the further left you go, when there's like a sense of actual like solidarity among people, they're willing to like hear you out and give you a chance. So there were like, some leftists that were like willing to promote this, but you go on like the liberal sort of corporate media side and nobody like they, it's like, okay, this is inconvenient for us. So just, you know, push it out, pretend like it doesn't exist. And that, and that's like, in a way that's as troubling as if I got like dog piled on because it's yeah. like, you, like, and, and I, I have a journalism degree. I came up through journalism. Like, I know you all are being derelict in your duty. You're not considered like, if this were a story that, that reinforced like the main points of me too, um, you would be all over this. Mm -hmm. um, and like, and even like uh, one of the publications that I pitched, uh, like, but they, they gave me a very vague reason for turning me down. And the same day that I got that, that dismissal, they had a post on their website, like recounting, oh, here are like the, the biggest moments of me too from the year. So right. it's like, I see like the monetary interest you have in keeping this going. And yeah, there's some, there's some politics, like how publications are sort of aligned that plays into it too. But it's like, okay, there's like, this is a lucrative 
like storyline for you basically right and I was actually surprised I was I was thinking about writing this piece for um a couple of weeks and then I got to interview Alan Dershowitz for it and and he he has a completely different perspective on it he totally wants to sue the person that or is suing the person that accused him but I, th- I thought at some point I was like I need to give my head editor a heads up that I'm doing this fully expecting that she was going to say no 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 we're not gonna don't do that but um they came back and said, yeah, we, we, you know, this sounds like an interesting story. So, I mean, do you feel like, do you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but do you, do you get a sense that the tide is starting to turn? Not necessarily in that, you know, we're going to go completely back to women not being taken seriously when they make these complaints, but that people might be more open to hearing the man's side of the story. I think so. Um, There are, there are a number of sides uh, signs recently that have uh, that have shown me that, and one is interesting. Out of the presidential primary, you looked at the way that Liz Warren tried to bring up that, like, you know, how she claimed that, like, Bernie, uh, you know, told her that, like, a woman couldn't, you know, yes, win the president. Such BS. <laughs> there were, and there is, I mean, there's there was a woman. It's, uh, I'm not sure how to say her last name. But she writes for GQ. It's like Julia Iov or something like that. Um, and she made a claim on Twitter that's like, oh, I thought, you know, after Me Too, we had to, like, always believe women. And that's, like, the lesson of Me Too is essentially that women never lie. I mean, like, no, you, and I think a lot of these sort of, like, you know, like, professional managerial class, usually white women, they're trying to, like, create this impression that women are, like, morally superior to men. And that's why we should be able to give, get, like, leeway to take over, like, a lot of these like corporate or like professional class jobs. And like, that seems like a very deliberate way of doing that, showing like, oh, so we didn't believe women before, but now it's like an overcorrection. Now we have to believe them too much. Right. Um, So I think people are seeing like how that's being cynically used. So there's like, especially on the left, there's some pushback against that. Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't think it's over, it's like undone everything. We're not, I don't know if we're it, 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 like super balanced down the middle yet, but the, it, like the pendulum is swinging back a little bit. Right. Well, and I mean, even if you do the math on it, like when I first started looking for sources to talk to on this piece, I even got blowback even talking about the subject with people sending me nasty emails saying, you know, only 2% of these cases are, are, are false and how dare you even and think about writing about this topic. And I, I stepped back and did the math and I was like, okay, let's just take the low number of 2% of these allegations being false. That's still, you know, 300 men or so, usually men. Right. Not Those people always, still exist. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they still exist. And if you look at the top the top of the of the range, because it's between two and 10% of them are false, you're getting 10%, now you're getting into thousands of people every year who could have their careers dramatically impacted. Yeah, I, I, I can think, this is sort of like a weird connection, but I remember last summer, New York Magazine had some, had like this long um, story about like a, uh, a college professor who was basically like swindled by these two women via like incredibly like, like BS, like Title IX complaints. And like, they just completely scammed him. And I remember like the left discussion around them, or like, they were like, oh, I can't believe, why is New York media running this? They're playing into the right hands. And I'm like, isn't don't they have an obligation to like pursue stories that reveal the truth like people just want anything to be like their propaganda arm mm-hmm. and it's like okay then what is the like why even claim to be journalists at that point you're just propagandists for whatever side you happen to be on right right and i am legitimately not a journalist like i'm a psychologist <laughs> that's that's sure, my sure. thing i just happen to, to write and i think like in some respects um i feel like i've taken a more balanced approach to looking at this topic than a lot of people who really have a much more ethical obligation to be you know balanced in their in their point of view 
so I guess so so you published the piece you you got some response did you you didn't get the backlash you were hoping for or maybe not hoping for but maybe we're expecting um what what did you get positive feedback to the piece I did yeah I got I got people who thought it was like thoughtful and potentially constructive you know and I, and I heard from you know a few people who have been me tooed uh, and like I, I don't, you know, I can't, I don't know, you know, how guilty or not guilty they are. Um, and, you know, in some cases, one of them admitted that he's at least, <coughs> excuse me, like he's at least guilty of some, some aspect of what he said that he'd done. But like, you have to get into the point where like what, even if people are like guilty, to what extent can they still live our lives, their lives? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, the left uh, wants to like, oh, we, we want to when they talk about like people who are guilty of other kinds of crimes, oh, we need to like give them a chance to integrate back into society. We have to like have show, like recognize the basic humanity in these people. But when it comes to like sexual misconduct, you're permanently ostracized. You have no chance. Like you might as well, like you're just excommunicated. Mm -hmm. And until, you know, maybe, maybe it's like after Trump leaves office, maybe not. Uh, like, are we going to get to the point where, like, maybe we could have, like, a actual discussion of, like, how that's going to work? Uh, mm -hmm. But at this point, it, like, who knows when that's going to be? That may be when he's gone. It may not be. Um, so, it, like, it just seems like if you're me too the expectation is that you're just going to suffer forever. Right. And it could be for anything. I think you, you make this point in your piece as well, that it, it runs the full gamut of, of the experience, whether or not you just, you know, made a made an off color remark to someone and you got it reported to HR for that all the way up to raping someone. Everyone gets lumped into the same category. Right. There's and there was a lot of uh, sort of bad faith um, or at least dishonest claims by people who were like defenders of the list. They're like, oh, we can look at the claims. We can tell the difference between like awkward in the DMs and like serial rapist. But then you had people who are like, oh, if you talk to anybody on the shitty media men list, you're enabling bad people. So like how it was weaponized and what these people claimed didn't line up. Right, right. How did it feel to you after you published the article just to just to kind of put your side of the story out there? What was what was that experience like? I mean, incredibly cathartic because uh, like I have really been like stewing in a lot of emotions. Just the fact that I've had to hide like so much of this for from for so long from so many people. Uh, it like, it's been incredibly psychologically damaging and stressful. Like the, and like, and I have to watch, like I like for so long I had to watch stories that like had parallels to mine play out and I couldn't say anything about them. I had to like watch everything that I said on Twitter because like, who knows who I'm gonna like, again, like this thing was like public. So a, a fair amount of people knew about the fact that I was on the list. So if I just say any random thing that pissed someone off, they could just like quote tweet me and be like, oh, are we going to listen to this from some guy on the shitty media men list? And like, st like I luckily like no big accounts did that to me, but I had people who like called me a rapist and I'm not even accused of rape on the list. Like I said something once about like a website I didn't like and I had people be like, oh, yeah, cool, cool comment, rapist. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like, so I was like, I'm constantly living in fear like living like like I'm never gonna get back to a decent life. Like and and the fact that there are lies out there that were standing about me and I I could not address. Like it's one thing to be judged for something you did, but I'm being judged for things I didn't do and I couldn't address them for like several years. Mm -hmm. Do you have any regrets about waiting as long as you did? No, I think like this was like it, it, there was no like precise calculation here, but I think like this was as soon as it could have been. Like I could have tried, I think if I had done it earlier, like maybe like I could have done it a month or two earlier, 
But like, have I had I done it even like six months ago? I don't think the reaction would have been the same. I think I would have been attacked more severely. Mm-hmm. And I did get like, I did get some like, if you look in the medium comments, uh, the posts on the medium thing, there are a lot of like, you know, there are women in there being like, oh, boo hoo. Do you know anything about sexual assault like stats? And I'm like, okay, well, you're using other people's trauma to like, to like not, you know, to sort of like escape any feelings of guilt you might have about this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, like, yes, I. Obviously, I don't think like what happened to me erases what happened to like any of these women, but that doesn't mean there can't be two separate wrongs. Yeah, and one of the points I'm I'm thinking about writing about in the piece is um is you know for people who who have been a, a victim of an assault or sexual harassment or whatever, their pain is not going to be taken away by false by someone else being falsely accused. Right, because yeah, because the person that assaulted them still got away with it. Right. Right. Do you have any thoughts or maybe words of advice for anyone who might find themselves in a similar position to you? Um, I, I've, <laughs> I don't know. Like, every, obviously, everyone's circumstances, I feel, are probably unique to this to some degree. But, like, hopefully, I, if, you, if there are other people on the list who, uh, you know, have been affected to a degree that I have, whose claims are wrong, like, they, hopefully they feel uh, encouraged to, to step forward as well. I mean, there are people on the list who, like, because they were staff writers, like I mentioned uh, in, in the piece, like, they had someone to, like, get their side. Like, for so long, that's, uh, again, this was so damaging. There were so few people. Like, I, I had maybe, like, five or six total people who came to me, like, including that, that girlfriend I mentioned, like, at the outset, who were like, is this true? And, like, so, like, just the side, like, the, 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 like, the unwillingness to reckon with any of this from people I knew, the, who I, like, was sure knew about this, and to come get my side is really troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, like I, I, like I said, I hope what I did uh, will um, encourage other people if, if they have, um, you know, issues that they need to clarify to come forward. Um, you know, I've had, like, I've had, again, people who have been, you know, me too or, like, on the list reach out to me. And one of them was, like, looking for, like, how do I, you know, talk about this with employers? Um, and, he, like, his, his was a case that was, like, a lot more, um, you know, he wasn't on the shitty media man list. He was, like, me too in another way. Um, and his was a lot more, like, sort of out in the open than mine. And I was like, well, you have to, you really have to just talk, you tell your employer, because they're going to find out. Like it, it literally comes up at the top of like search results for you. And they're obviously they're going to do that. Um, and he's like, he's had other interviews with other jobs. He said where like he got, you know, to pre offer and he would keep quiet, but eventually they would just find out and then with, withdraw the offer. Um, and like in this, and that also feeds into like, we need to have a uh, like a larger discussion of like, you know, when do people, depending on, obviously it depends to some degree on what you did. Uh, but like, when do people get to like be reintegrated back into society? I mean, to some, like you have that somewhat with like Louis CK who gets to like sort of circumvent this cause he's famous. He just gets to sort of like reinsert himself. He's like, well, I'm, I'm popular. I'm, I'm like, uh, prominent enough that I just, I can just work again because mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're, if you have a big enough profile, like, you know, comedy clubs are going to book you. Like he's bet he's like, you know, I live in DC. He's doing the Warner theater in like a month which is you know, a pretty big venue here. So like, he's not back. He's obviously, he's not doing TV. He's not doing movies. So he's not, he may never get back to the stature that he was, but he's like, he's a, a working, like by most, by most standards of stand-up comedian, by a, of a stand-up comedian, he's back. Right. Right. Whereas for people who don't have the high profile, yeah, like, it, it's much, much harder. If I didn't do this, like who's, 
I would have had to wait maybe until we had like a full cultural reckoning, but who knows when that's going to be. Right. So like, I might've had to wait like years and years really to have like, you know, someone be like, Oh, we maybe, maybe some of this was wrong. And maybe we should try to reach out to these people. But like, that could be like three, four years down the line. Like, yeah. and like in the meanwhile, like I've been working three jobs, you know, I'm trying to like avoid bankruptcy. Like, I don't know if I can shred water that long. So like I had, like I had to expose myself in this way. And like, maybe that's why I didn't get like as bad like blowback is because people were like, okay, this guy hasn't, we've already taken everything we can from this guy. Like what right. more, like, I guess there's nothing left to really like beat out of him. So I think, yeah, there's partially that, partially the fact that it's like inconvenient to sort of like the liberal viewpoint um, that like, yeah, that's they, why they just like, okay, I guess we just have to like pretend this doesn't, this didn't happen. Yeah. So it almost sounds like instead of giving advice to people who've been accused, your advice is almost for people who have, have witnessed these accusations and, and, you know, for, for people to, you know, check in with people if you know someone who's been accused, like ask them, ask them for their side of the story. Yeah, because I think like we need to have the cultural movement before I could even do anything for the other people who have been accused because like there's no, I like, I mean, I, I'm, my life isn't saved. <laughs> like, I st my bank account's still at negative $650. I still have several jobs. Um, so, <laughs> like, uh, like, publishing this, like, I, yeah, I, I, got, I got some money from the New York Post. Like, it was maybe, like, you know, it was, like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not even going to cover my bills for a month. It's, but it's, like, it's fine. So I'll get a little bit of work. But it's not like I wrote the And I, obviously, I didn't write this with the expectation, oh, like, Someone's going to be like, oh, hey, okay, Mike, we're going to give you a staff writing job now. Like, no, obviously that was not going to happen. And it has not happened. Um, so I'm not like back. I'm just like, I just have this huge like burden off my, like this weight off my chest, which does, it is something It feels good, but it's not like, oh, I'm, like, my life is fixed now. Well, I almost think it's, it's, it's probably the most important place to start, though, because, you know, coming, I'm putting my psychologist hat on now, um, like, it seems like you've reclaimed your power in this situation. You had your power taken away from you. You don't even know who took it away. Sure. It was taken away for a long time. But by putting it out there, you've reclaimed that power. Yeah, no, and I, and I feel that, like, uh, you know, I've been a lot more sort of outspoken on Twitter since this happened, which, like, uh, you might say I'm being a little provocative, but like for a while I had to like say, no, I just had to cower and be like, uh, or like I just wasn't on there at all. So now I can at least speak my piece. Um, you know, I can speak honestly, you know, I, I had to like sort of like tiptoe around things for a while. So yeah, I've definitely like reclaimed my identity for, for better or worse. <laughs> All right. Well, I think your piece was great. I liked that it was very balanced. You were taking looks at both sides of the issues. You were pretty nuanced in your approach. And I thought it was it was a really insightful commentary on what it's like to be to to have that happen to you. So I'm really grateful that you wrote it and put it out there. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I like again, I hope it's been helpful, not like to directly to people who like have, um, you know, had like, you know, false claims against them. And even to people who like, dep again, depending on like what they've done, like we can't like, like, yeah, maybe like have, if you've like sexually harassed somebody or you've had like bad dates, I don't think you deserve to have like a lifetime sentence for this stuff. Like we have to think about like what the next step is. Definitely. Definitely. All right, Mike, thank you for sharing your story with us. Anything else to add before we conclude? Um, no, just like, uh, like I said, I, uh, I'm glad that I can speak. Like I can't afford therapy. So a podcast will have to do for now. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> we'll do what we can. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again for, uh, letting me talk, uh, talk about this. Thank you. 
I want to really thank Mike for taking the time out to speak with me and to share his story with the world. Listen, sharing a story like this on the scale that he did first in Medium and then in the New York Post, it is not an easy thing. Now, I want to really be very clear here. The vast, 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 vast majority of the time when people make allegations of having been sexually harassed or assaulted, they are true. It's anywhere between 90 and 98% of the time. They're true. It's hard to pin down an exact stat, but I think we can all agree that anything over 90% represents a vast majority. But that does not mean we should not be putting processes and procedures in place to protect people when they are not true. Because if we get into the habit of assuming the guilt of someone sheerly because an accusation has been made, we're setting ourselves up for trouble. And these things have real human consequences. All allegations should be investigated when they're made, but there has to be some bar set in terms of really making sure that we are not convicting people before they have had a chance to present their side or before we've even looked at evidence. The results have very real human consequences when we do this. People's careers are destroyed, their reputations are destroyed, their relationships are are destroyed. And from my perspective, as a woman who was assaulted by a coworker, whose organization did nothing to help me when it happened, I don't want men that are innocent to be convicted by the court of public opinion. I want there to be a process. It doesn't take anyone's pain away or suffering away or humiliation away when innocent people suffer consequences for things they don't do. So all I'm asking for with this series is just a little bit of a reset. Please resist the urge to assume someone's guilt just because they've been accused. Wait for the evidence to come out and let the process unfold. If they're really guilty, they should suffer the consequences that are proportional to their actions. But we want to make sure we are seeking the truth in the scenario, not what is politically convenient. Now, if you want to join in on the conversation and tell me about some of the BS you've experienced at work, head over to nobsatwork.com. You'll fill out a short form just telling me how to get in touch with you and a quick word about what you want to talk about. Don't worry. You do not have to reveal your identity to come on the podcast. If you want to, that's perfectly fine. But you are also welcome to come on anonymously because I care far more about the experience than revealing who you are and the specific organization that you work for. So head over to nobsatwork.com. You'll also be able to find past episodes of the show. Now, if you enjoyed this conversation, I think you'll love my book. It's called Zen Your Work, and it's all about how to infuse mindfulness techniques into your work experience so you can reduce your stress, be more creative, be more productive, build better working relationships, and create a more fulfilling work experience. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me at zenworkplace.com. Of course, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Carlin B. Until next time, I sincerely hope you don't have too much BS at work, but if you do, we'll try to focus our energy in a more positive direction. Reach out to me, we'll have a chat, and we'll figure out what we can learn from it to do it better.